Today's scripture comes from Genesis 2, 23-25 and Ephesians 5, 28-32. If you're using the Pew Bibles, it's on page 2 and 690. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father, father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This is the word of God. Today's uh, question in our current series, Hard Questions, is, is this. Is homosexuality a sin? Um, I've had a little chance to um, be away um, on a mission trip and a vacation. And then all this week I was thinking, are you, are you kidding, Susan? Did you really assign yourself this sermon <laughs> right after coming back from vacation? Um, it's, it's a hard subject. Um, just to give you a bit of an intro, the answer to the question, is homosexuality a sin? Um, according to the Bible, the answer is yes. Now, that's probably not a surprise, certainly if you're in, in the church, that's not a surprise. Or if you're not a believer and you're outside the church, that shouldn't be a surprise to you. And so that's not really a very interesting um, teaching. Um, and, and what, but what I want to talk about is not so much, I could have, I mean, if I just wanted to answer that question, there are explicit portions of the Bible. I mean, they tend to be very unpopular and um, controversial passages of the Bible in our time, in our culture, especially in this area, the Bay Area, um, this west coast of the United States um, at this time in the 21st century. But there are passages like Leviticus 20, verse 13. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. That's tough language, but very, very clear. Uh, It's very, very clear. Um, there are other um, explicit passages like in Romans chapter 1, verse 26, where there's a, just a very clear description of homosexual activity, and it's, and it's clearly disapproved. Um, and then a, a passage that, um, that maybe, well, you may not have read the passage, but it's, uh, it's familiar in our culture, which would be Genesis chapter 18 and 19, and that's where God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, And there's a description of the sexual activity, and it's clearly, that's where we get the word sodomy, actually, of of, of homosexual activity. And so um, there's clear disapproval of that in Genesis 18 and 19. Now, those are just certain passages, but that's not really what I want to talk about today. Now, in our our subject today, um, this is how a lot of people may think of it. I mean, I wrote this down so that I could say this. Uh, in, 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 in the strongest possible way that our society deeply, so many in our society deeply disagree and, um, about, uh, on this matter with the Bible and with Christians. And so to many people, the Bible forbidding and disapproving of homosexuality seems irrational, <laughs> intolerant, 
hateful, and unreasonable. So if two persons love each other, and there are many people who say, you know, just because I'm a guy and I love this other person, by this they mean erotic and sexual and romantic love. If two people love each other and it doesn't seem to hurt anyone else, why would any reasonable, reasonable person consider it sinful or wrong and thus forbid it unless such a person held a form of prejudice, <laughs> discrimination, or even just plain bigotry and hatred. That's, does that sound like a familiar? I mean, maybe it's not said in exactly all these different ways, but I would say this is the question that our society is asking. And maybe there are even people who are, um, you grown up in the church, and you're like, you know, I kind of feel that way <laughs> about the church. I've got gay friends. You know, my cousin is gay. Um, she's a lesbian. And um, it just seems like to me, people inside the church, all they are are reasonable, irrational, and maybe even just simply hateful. And so that's, that's the big elephant in our culture. And so we're going to really deal with this question about this, um, is homosexuality sinful? Well, the simple answer is yes, but that's not really very helpful. Today what I want to do is talk about the why. Why does the Bible consider homosexuality, and yes, even same-sex sexual desire, why is that sin? So that's, that's what we're going to tackle in today's message. So it's a big one. And one of the reasons I, I want to get into this, and, and maybe you're like, how come I haven't really heard much teaching on this before, and why don't most um, uh, our churches touch it? I mean, you know, maybe one reason is maybe just churches are afraid. Uh, that's, that's a reason. But I want to give you something that's... Um, Oh, another reason why you don't get much teaching on this is simply because it's complex. There's a lot going on in this matter. And it's something that's hard to say in one sermon. Um, it really it takes what, you, what it really requires is actually a series of serious Bible studies. Right? But I'm going to give it a shot today. I'm going to try um, to unpack this very complex and difficult subject in one sermon. And I hopefully, I mean, I won't be able to say everything which is why next week um, Pastor Young is going gonna, is gonna to address the subject, how do we love our gay neighbors? All right, that's, that's the subject he's going to talk about because I hope, I hope that is something that's a concern of yours because all Christians, we are called by God to love our neighbors as ourselves, and that does not exclude our gay neighbors. Of course it does. Of course we are called to love them, it does, um, to love them and not exclude them. And so that's going to be the, um, the subject tackled next week. But today, mostly, I want to talk about the theology of the Bible and the why question, why does the Bible deem homosexuality sinful, right? So in three parts, part one, the meaning of sex and sexuality. Do you know that there's meaning to it? It's not simply an act. and It doesn't simply just produce babies. There's a theological, deep philosophical meaning in the Bible that it's laid out. And um, so that's part one, the meaning of sex and sexuality. Part two, um, I want to talk about something called, that I want to call the sins underneath the sin. One of the reasons why our culture is wrestling with this question, it's, it isn't really just a problem of like 
of, 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 uh, of the, this guy desires this guy sexually, or this woman desires this woman sexually. Isn't, we actually have much bigger problems than actually the sin of homosexuality. We have problems that I consider the deeper problems. And I want to talk, talk about that. It really has, has, problem, has aspects of like how we sex, the body, relationships, and God, all, all of those things. And so I want to um, unpack in part two what I call the sins underneath the sin. All right? And then in part three, I want to close by talking about becoming complete persons through Jesus Christ. When we're talking about sex and the, and the brokenness of sex, what we're really talking about is what it means to be a person. And let me just say this. Everybody's a broken person, not just gay persons or not just people who wrestle with same-sex sexual desire. As far as I know, every heterosexual person I met is a broken person, and they're broken sexually too. And so I want to close by talking about becoming complete whole persons through Jesus, right? So let's get into this first part, part one. Um, before I get into the Genesis passage, it's a tremendously profound and important passage. I want to make a statement that will help us orient ourselves as we get into the subject matter and as we get into the Bible. Um, when we're talking about sex and sexuality, here are all the, the, um, the, the, the concepts that you have to have in, this, in, in, in mind. Personhood. What is a person? What is love? And relationships. All right, duh, right? Persons, love, relationships. You, you need something else, though. You also need to have covenant, which, of course, our culture doesn't understand, because covenant has to do with relationship with God and relationship with each other in God. That's what covenant's about. Person, love, relationship, covenant, and, of course, God. All those are pieces. You must have some understanding. You must have a sufficient understanding of persons, love, relationship, covenant, and God if you're going to have a sound understanding of sex. And no wonder, of course, people, if you don't have covenant and God, you're going to have a completely deficient and broken understanding of sex and sexuality. That's what's happening in our society. So in one level, I mean, in one level, you could say, you know, they deliberately don't want to know about covenant and God. That's true. In our secular culture, people, they're like, they just think that it's irrelevant and it's, it's, it's deeply wrong. It's actually very relevant, not just to Christians, it's relevant to non-Christians. Right? Because the understanding of sex and sexuality, this is very important, is not a religious matter. <laughs> It is not merely this thing that can be contained inside of religion. It is a creational, it is a creational reality. The truth is, for, is from creation. Genesis chapter 2 is before the fall. There's no sin. <laughs> and there is no even need for redemption when we read Genesis chapter 2. But it is all part of God making things beautiful and good. And so part of the way he made things beautiful and good is he made persons. He made them to love. He made persons to have deep relationships. And apart from relationships, you're not a whole person. Can I say that again? Apart from relationship, you cannot be a whole person. And a person is intended to be an eternal being. 
in covenantal relationship through love from God for God, with God for each other. Hearing, hearing everything I just said? In that, God invented sex. So you need all those parts. You need all of those parts. Now, I want to say one more thing before I get into the passage. If you take out the latter two parts, covenant and God, there are tremendous, just, just all kinds of curse and deep problems are just unleashed in our society, and that's, what's, that's what we're living in right now. We're living in sexual chaos because we don't even know what it means to be a person. We don't even know what love is. Because if you take covenant and God outside of the understanding of sex, love even the very understanding of love just completely falls apart. So I want to talk about two things that we have in our, in our society. One is philosophically, what is love? What is love? In our society, here's what everybody thinks love is. I have a good feeling towards you, and you have a good feeling towards me, and I need this good feeling in order to make my life feel like it matters. That's... Isn't that pretty much what love is? It's like, oh, baby, baby, I love you. Is it about sacrificing for her? Is it about being committed to her? Is it about even forsaking all others so that I would just be with you? But all the love songs, the love songs are all really just about a feeling. It's pure sentimentality. But that's the meaning. Philosophically, we have a shallow meaning of love. And so if you have a shallow meaning of love and then we treat eternally, infinite persons of worth, because that's what a human being is. A person is not just an animal that talks and has got way too much IQ that's greater than a rat, because that's what we think human beings are. <laughs> Actually, that's literally what you are taught from grade school all the way to universities. A human being is just a thinking, talking, feeling, overly like needy, because we need this thing called meaning, like a rat, okay? And then this rat somehow needs this thing called love. And what is love? It's a, it's a feeling. It's in fact, actually, if you break it down even further than that, I don't even know what a feeling is. All it is is a series of chemical reactions. That's the secular understanding of love. I mean, I know that's very rude to say it this way, because you know we all want to like you know, impose other kinds of like special meanings on these things. But anytime you impose other kinds of meaning where the person has love, which is like it lasts forever. I'm going to love you forever and ever, and and you are of infinite worth, and I have worth, and then we're going to meet each other and we're going to love each other. You know where that's all from? The Bible. So whenever you listen to your classic love song on the radio, or you listen to you watch any movie, they're all just being human beings, but they're being human beings according to the Bible, not according to secular wisdom. Secular wisdom is taking the eternity, the covenant, God, all that out. So if you take that part out, all you're left with philosophically is a very, very shallow and quite frankly a terrible definition of love which doesn't seem like love at all. So that's one thing I want to start with. You need to think this is like, I thought you were going to talk about homosexuality. Before you even talk about homosexuality, you have to talk about the underpinnings. There's a second terrible consequence to the way our society thinks about homosexuality and sex, which is, so philosophically, we are very shallow. Secondly, though, in practice, we are very wicked. <laughs> and here's what I mean. 
What I mean by that is in practice, all we really do is if we love somebody else and then you're just unleashed to be able to have sex with whomever you want because you got good feelings for them, heck, we don't even need feelings. <laughs> In our, in our society today, you don't even need the feelings because, you know, you're, you're in college and you're stressed about your midterms and that girl's stressed out about her midterms. Can we just have a hookup? We don't even need the feelings. It's just, can we just have the orgasm? So we don't even need the feelings. And so what does love in that context mean? It really means is I get to use you. Love today is all about using other people. I have a feeling, I have a needy feeling. I need this feeling to be filled up because I'm lonely and I feel empty and I got to love you. And it just so happens that I have a thing for guys or I have a thing for girls or, and, and I don't really care about that commitment covenant part like marriage and God, isn't that all irrelevant? I just have a need. And so can I use you? But instead of saying use you, I'm going to use the word love. <laughs> that's, what we're that's what we're doing. Is this, I know I'm being tough, but let's get real. This is, this is our culture. This is our culture. And I especially feel compassionate and, 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 and pity upon the um, young people who grew up in this culture. You all want real love. You all want to find that special person that will be committed to you, who will sacrifice for you, who will lay down their life and self-give for you. That's real love. And say, I will do it till I die. <laughs> Till you die for better or for worse. That's real love. But that's not what our society practices and believes in. Well, what they do is they steal the meaning of love from the Bible, but then they don't actually believe in that. Then they practice the shallow understanding of love and philosophically don't even have love at all. This is where we're at. Now let's get into the Bible. Okay? Okay. That was heavy and hard. But... But let's get real. This is, this is what we need to deal with if we're going to wrestle with this subject matter. Okay, so let's go to Genesis chapter 2. If we can, um, can we put that up there? <laughs> we got to step out here. Genesis chapter 2. So let me just read this portion. So this is, um, again, before the fall. Before this portion, God deems that it is not good for Adam, which by the way means the man, right? The man, the human being, but the male of the human being, to be alone. And how does God answer his aloneness? So this is, I want to just say this for a moment here. If you feel lonely because you're alone, that is not sin. There's no sin at this portion of creation. You are, you're, there's not something wrong with you. If you feel lonely, you know what? You are perfectly normal. Because <laughs> this is really interesting. God made a person, and he put, he put a hole inside that person. <laughs> he put a hole inside that person that can only be met with someone that is similar and different. This is really important. Similar is the same, yet different. <laughs> only that person can fill that loneliness hole. And so then... So God made us good with, um, I, I remember Pastor Tim Keller, the way he put it, is design deficit. I remember when he said that in the sermon, I was like, really? <laughs> I was like, but that's true. He made us good, so you're a man or you're a woman. Your manhood, your womanhood is good. But it has, from God, actually a hole. 
a whole of design deficit. Why? Because a person is not just a person by yourself. A person is enfleshed. Your body is not something less than your person. It's not just a pure soul. A person is a soul and a body and a need, a need to be in relationship with a very special other person that can fill you up. That's what Genesis chapter 2, verse 23 is. So Adam is looking for that. He's gone, it's like a dog is a man's best friend. Not true. <laughs> he already tried the dog. He's like, okay, well, I'll call you dog, but you're not going to be my best friend. God says, nope, not, not, I'll, I'll make one for you. <laughs> and so then he says this. So then he makes, you know, you, you know the famous path. He actually makes a woman, according to the Bible, now, I won't get into the whole thing. Did he literally make pull out the rib? I mean, okay, whatever, okay? The important part is that she is made of the exact same stuff as him. She is utterly on par of humanity as him. And by the way, she's not less. The, the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, very, very clear. Uh, there's equality of worth. A woman is not less human than the man, right? So then, so then God makes her, and then, he, and then he, he breaks out into the first, like, praise song of the Bible, okay? That's, that's what this is. This is poetry. At last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. So he breaks out in a song. And then, and then it says this very, very important portion. This is covenant. This is covenant. Verse 24. A man shall leave, therefore, because of this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. In other words, to be glued to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. That's the classic, classic biblical verse on marriage. And then, this is a very, very important verse. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Right? Now, um, now, if you let me make a couple points about this. Number one, there is two persons, man and woman. They both have design deficit. Personhood is relational. The man cannot be a full person apart from the woman. You know what I'm saying? A person is in relationship. So God made the man in his image. And God is deeply relational. So in relationship was not invented by God when he made Adam. Relationship is eternal. The Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are different, but of the same stuff, same stuff of the essence, but they find their deepest love and completion in the other. That's incredible. That's in the Holy Trinity. So let me just point this out. There's Father. That's his personhood. Can you have father without son? Can you? No. So if you just say his personhood is God, then God can seem like he's completely on his own, he's fine, apart. But that is not actually the Bible's vision and, and revelatory teaching about God, that he's actually a person. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are persons with each other deeply in relationship. Relationship is eternal. So when God made Adam in his image, he made him a person, which means he has to be in relationship, not purely like I, I can only be, I only need myself and I don't need anybody else. 
That's what we want to believe, but that's not true. And then God made a person that would complete him, and that is man to woman. That's the picture. And, um, and then I want to say um, something else about this. You have now two persons. If, I don't know if you notice this. Uh, they have love, and they were naked and not ashamed. Um, if you don't know, that's about sex. <laughs> I don't know how to, how, how to make it really blunt, more blunt. Than when you're a kid, you're like, they're naked and not ashamed. And when you're maybe you're seven, you're like, that's strange. <laughs> and, but that's very nice. It's about sex. But it's more than just about sex. It's about what it means to be a person. In a person who meets the other person, and then you have completion of your personhood in relationship, then you have love. What does that love look like? Here's what that love looks like. Before God, you are naked. Not just physically naked. You are completely, completely vulnerable and open. The other person can see the full totality of your soul, heart, mind, body, nakedness. They see you. They fully, fully know you. And then there's no shame. That is God's desire for man, woman, person, love, relationship. And, and it is an unbelievably blissful way that they will come into wholeness. That's God's vision of relationship, and it is especially, it is especially in pictured and in flesh through the male-female relationship in sex. Okay? And now one more big mouthful. <laughs> um, well, two more. Actually, I've got to make a couple of big more mouthfuls. Number, um, second uh, point is this, all right? Let me make sure I get all this stuff. Um, um, in relationship, in sex. The other part is covenant. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. This is the core passage in the Bible, maybe the, the, the biggest passage in the Bible when it comes to marriage. And... So I won't read the whole passage, but it basically talks about how the man should love his wife, and the man loving his wife is really like loving himself, is like loving his own flesh, is loving his own body, because it's like he's pictured as the head and she's his body. That's how deeply you're supposed to be united. And then it says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So that's, what is that? That's from Genesis chapter 2. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. I'm referring to Christ and the church. So what is this other part that I want to get at? So the relationship has to be in covenant. What's covenant? Is that you have a committed relationship under God to the other person. So there's, there's layers of covenant. This is marriage. So this is obviously a very deep commitment. But do you also understand that God believes that all men and all women are covenanted to each other to bless each other under him? So the male-female is, is a, I want to use a big word here, is an archetype. <laughs> or is a, is a kind of like, 
is a, is, is a kind of metaphor or vision of the bigger kind of relationship that God wants us to have. So if you're going to be a person, you can't just have another person, I just like this person, and then we're going to be made whole. That is not the way you can be made whole. You can't actually be made whole by the person who is exactly the same as you. This is why God made us male and female, and that's why God didn't just make another guy. God had to make someone who you can be in covenant with who is, this, and this is really important, who is mysteriously different, mysteriously other. Why? Because the kind of relationship we're supposed to be in, God is putting with other human beings, we're all made in the image of God. The relationship that you have, you are made in the image of God. You're like God. Then you meet another person, they're like God. The relationship that you're supposed to have with that other person to make you whole as a human being in the image of God has to be a relationship like with God. Hearing what I'm saying? And God, well, is not human. God made himself, he, we are like God because we're human, but we're not God. And so God, the kind of relationship we're supposed to have with God is one who is like us, but mysteriously different than us. And then when he made creation and then made male and female in his image, he actually embedded that structurally into creation itself. You following me? So if you're a man, and then as a person, as a male person, then you're going to come into a relationship that's going to make you whole. You actually have to meet someone who is like you, human, deeply human, and yet mysteriously other and different than you. A woman. And so you're starting to see now why, why the Bible needs this vision. Why? Why a man can't marry a woman? I mean, why a man can't marry a man? Why a man can't have, is not supposed to be, have sexual desire for another man? Because that sexual desire is part of that design deficit that's seeking the fullness of your personhood into the other person. But that other person has to meet you and be like God, and that relationship is like the kind of relationship of us to God. And thus, if you're a woman... You are made for a man. If you are a man, you're made for a woman. And that mirrors how if we're human, we're made for God. You hear what I'm saying? So all the parts are necessary. Personhood, love, relationship, covenant, and God. One last point. Let's go to part two. So if you're a man and your person is going to be complete in someone else, it needs to be a woman. But, um, so on the individual level, the vast majority of people need to get married. <laughs> what was God's answer for loneliness and being alone? Marriage. <laughs> and marriage itself is the covenant by which our picture of relationship of being made whole with God would be tasted in experience. So on the individual level, this is tasted in marriage, and then sex is given in marriage. That one flesh union is tasted, and the beautiful joy of it is given in marriage. So that's on the individual level. But let me say it at a little bit different level. All of society, all of society, the men and the women should treat each other with blessing 
and with respect, something like, like a kind of like a marriage. <laughs> when God gives this vision in Genesis chapter 2, 23, men and women are supposed to treat each other with a great respect and supposed to reveal themselves to each other. You can't completely reveal yourself to every woman. Like, you're not, men don't go around being naked in front of every woman, all right? But the vision spiritually is that men and women should be, you should be able to be a, a transparent man before women. And women should be able to be transparent. And that's one of the deep, terrible, broken things of the fall. That is one of the things that completely fell apart in the fall. And so that men and women, what we have is the war of the sexes today. (laughs) What we have is the manipulation of the other side today. Why? Because we can't do Genesis chapter 2.25. The man and the woman were naked and yet unashamed. That is the vision that God would have. And then when that is going on, that is something like the glorious kinds of personhood and relationships that God intended as we are to image him as human beings. Okay? All right, that was a lot. (laughs) That's the theology. Now, if you hear that, is it anywhere even... You don't have to go to Romans chapter 1 or Leviticus chapter 20. You get... You're already into Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, and you already realize, if you understand those passages, you already realize there is no way that people who have a biblical worldview can accept homosexuality as being okay. It's not okay. It is not God's design to bless us. In fact, it is, it's, there's something deeply, deeply broken there. And so if you ever go to a church or people who say they're Christians... And then they say that, oh, you know, the same-sex same sex desire, sexual desire, is misdirected desire. It's, you're never going to feel, you're never going to get to that place of wholeness and completion through same-sex desire because it's intended to go the other way. And so that's a big mouthful to say, to, to give you the why of, of the Bible's view on sexuality and um, why homosexuality is forbidden, all right? Now let's go to part two. The sins underneath the sin. What I mean by that today is today in our society it's very commonplace that everybody accepts that, um, that, that homosexual sexuality and desire is perfectly fine. That's the sin of our society today. And what I want to talk about now is not so much about sex. You know what I want to talk about? I want to talk about belief about sex. That's what I want to talk about. Um, There are many people today who um, probably in our society, there may be somebody in the church, there may be someone right here in this room. You're a guy, but you're like, I believe in Jesus, but deep down, like, I can't help it. (laughs) I sexually desire guys. Like, there's this guy at school that I really have a thing for, right? You know, so they're wrestling inside the sinful brokenness of their heart. I want to say this is very important. If you're beset with sexual sinful, you know, like broken sexual sinful desires, just guess what? You're no worse than the heterosexual, your heterosexual friend. You're like, you're hiding it, maybe in the closet. Your heterosexual friends talk about uh, girls, and you think they're normal, but you're broken. Let me tell you something, they're just as broken. I don't know the guy who doesn't um, issue, have, who wrestles with porn or less after girls or maybe less after girls and less after guys. That is broken. So actually, 
I want, to, I want to talk about less. It's just to be human is to have broken sexual desires. And lust is something that besets. I don't know who does it. Doesn't, if it doesn't beset you, you're great for you, right? But it besets me. Almost every guy I know, it besets me. And, we, and I have to fight it every day. So I'm really not talking about sexual desire when I talk about the sins underneath the sin. When I'm talking about the sins underneath the sin, I'm talking about the wrong belief about sex. And the wrong belief about sex, from what I can tell, is not a gay person thing. There are millions of heterosexual people in our society have sinful belief about sex. In other words, wrong, their belief about about sex is the sin. And if you ask me, that's the worst sin. That's the much worse sin. What we believe about sex, so there's a person going like, I don't have anything for guys, but... But I think it's totally fine for guys to have sexual desire for other guys. Let me tell you, that's the most wicked thing in our society. (laughs) Not the guy who has a desire for another guy. That's what I want to talk about in this portion, the sins underneath this sin. So I already talked about a a couple of them. One, one one of the sins underneath our false understanding about sexuality is, one, we have a false understanding of love. I already covered that one. Two, we use others. I already covered that one, emotionally and physically. But I want to say one more point about this. We have a false and shallow understanding of love. Two, we use others emotionally and physically because we're needy. Okay? But I want to say something about this. This is incredibly terrible. And our culture, I just want, I'm just going to call it out. Our culture is unbelievably wicked. <laughs> Because we are in absolute denial of the fact that if we unleash sex, that you can just have sex with whomever you want, whenever you want, and the girl-guy thing doesn't matter, you know what it leads to? It leads to absolute exploitation of the weak and the poor. The sex trade in our society, the sex trade around the world, where do you think this comes from? (laughs) It's like, oh, we're all decent people here, even though everybody just sleeps around and uses everybody, but then somehow you're going to uncork that desire, and some people are going to say, well, I have money, and you're poor, and since you're poor, um, why don't you sell your kid to me so I can get off in my house? So the sins underneath, the sin of our wrong view on sex has horrific, horrifically evil consequences. And so I, when I look at our society, it is unbelievable. The, the, the hypocrisy is so spectacular. <laughs> On the one hand, you can have sex with whomever you want, however you want, as long as it's consensual. Well, what happens when it's a little bit like the consensuality is a little, starts to get kind of like murky, like I'll pay you $1,000 if you do it with me. <laughs> or I'll, I'll pay you a million dollars if you sell your kid to me. That's going on. <laughs> so, Number one, a false, shallow view of love. Number two, we use others, and it turns into wicked oppression. Let me go to number three. There's something else that's going on, why why we want to have this this view of sex, and that is we have an idolatry of sex and sexuality. You know what leads to this? We all believe that I don't need to need anybody else. I'm a person. I'm a strong person. I don't need anybody else. It's just like, what we all want our society is to be a strong person and to feel like, hey, you know, like, um, it's just so, but 
The fact is that's just so false. If I have enough money, if I have enough physical health, if I'm good looking enough, if I have a really good job, and you think I'm smart, then I don't need anybody else. <laughs> that's what we think. This is all a total ridiculous lie because inside all our hearts is that hole, is the hole of a loneliness. And we all have powerful, profound hunger. And the vast majority of us, guess what? You need to meet someone of the opposite sex. Find that they deem you really like you are worthy of commitment. I will commit myself to you. <laughs> and then I will reveal my whole self to you. I'll become naked physically, emotionally, in my soul. Will you become naked physically, emotionally, in our soul? We will express that bodily through sex. But then we will express it emotionally and relationally in all of our wholeness of being. That's what we really, really need. But since we're afraid of those kinds of relationships, we're afraid of having real covenantal relationships. What we have instead, what we do is we've just, sex is just completely blown out of proportion. We're going to just try to answer that quick with, with, with the hookup, with sex itself. So we, since we can't get the deep love, maybe we can just do the sex. And we just feel like that hole is there and it needs to be filled up and I'm going to try to fill it up with sex. And if a guy wants to fill it up with sex with another guy or she wants to fill it up with sex with another girl, who, who, hey, we all have this need. So who, who could possibly want to forbid that? But that is a trap. It's an idolatry. It's an idolatrous trap. We, it's making, it's ironically making sex too important and not respecting it enough. On the one hand, it's not respecting it for what it really is, its real power in marriage. And at the same time, it's way too important. It's crazy. Right? Sex is not the most important thing in marriage. I've been married 20 years, but it's not unimportant. <laughs> it matters, but it's not, it's not even the n number one or two or three most important thing in marriage, but it's important. And in our culture, we can't, when we have this thing, sex has become such an idol or there are people who are so prudish and they're afraid of it. Or, so then they move in a legalistic fashion. Or, there's just, it's just unleashing. We can just have sex with whomever we want. It's an idolatry of sex. So since sex is out of control and we worship it and we, we're addicted to it, well, nobody wants to be so judgmental since everybody's addicted to it. Since everybody is going around um, and is, 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 is enslaved by sex. So since because of that, well, then let's go around and erase that part where the Bible says that this part is not good. Hmm. That's the sin underneath the sin. And let me talk about one more. All right? The sin underneath the sin. And then I'm going to talk about one consequence, and then let's, and then let's go to the gospel. Right. One other sin, and this is the worst one, which is pride. It's kind of interesting. You don't think pride leads to sexual folly and sexual you know, chaos. That's actually where it goes. There's a deeper sin, and that's pride. Here's the pride. The pride is we don't need God. The pride is we don't need his wisdom. We don't need his word. We can figure it out ourselves. We can solve these problems ourselves. You know, um, I want to say this. If you're a Christian and you have a porn addiction problem and you don't think you need help, that's pride. <laughs> oh, I'll just solve this problem myself. Oh, um, you know, I feel really, really lonely, but like, okay, I'm not going to get married. That's pride. I want to speak to you. You're, 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 that's pride speaking to you. 
It's a much more wicked, much more insidious problem. And at the, at the root of this problem where we think we can define whom you can have sex with and what sex is good and all this stuff apart from God, so now we're really going to pay the price. We don't know what persons is. We don't know what love is. Our relationships are terrible. Covenant has completely gone out the window, and we treat other, other people apart from God, which means we, we treat them like usable, throwaway things. But it's pride and our desire to self-justify, and we get to call the shots, we get to make the law, not God, and we don't need his word, that must deeply be repented of. I want to just say something about this. This is a, I know this is really hard, and I'm speaking in a tough way to the church, but I also want to speak very forthrightly. If you not, do not consider yourself a Christian today, I want to ask you this. Is this really working for you? <laughs> Is your relationships, manhood, womanhood, sexuality, marriage, is this really working for you apart from God? And look at our society. Let's be honest. Is it? Maybe, possibly, what we need to do is put away the pride. And we need to come to God's word with humility. And maybe there's a word that could bless us. Instead, since we've cast off this, all this word, all we're doing now we are, we have all of it. We have shallow understanding of love. We use each other. We have oppression and wickedness in our society. We have unbelievably powerful, deep loneliness. We're addicted. We're empty. We're depressed. We're angry. We're miserable. And we just feel like, and we're just draining meaning out of our life. For what? Because so that we can have our own definition of sex? Let me close. All right. Ah, I knew I wouldn't be able to do this in, in good time, all right? But let, let me, well, we need some really good news. We're all broken and incomplete people. And I want to close with two things. One, um, one is marriage is part of the way that it helps. And by the way, if you are married today, you know that's not enough. I want to say this. Right now, if I say oh, marriage will help you become more of a whole person, the immediate thing is, like, oh, so I need to get married if I'm single? I'm, not, I'm like, no, 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 please, stop, stop, stop. Okay? <laughs> I want to say this. Marriage helps, but it will not make you complete and whole. <laughs> okay? Marriage is a, is, a, is a step toward that direction. But it is not the thing that's really going to make you complete and whole. Marriage helps you, like, but... Really, marriage can't save you. It cannot redeem you. You know who does? Only Jesus does. <laughs> marriage helps, though, because we have all kinds of pride habits. We have loneliness, and God gives us a person into our loneliness. Um, a lot of you, you probably, maybe you, I don't know if you know this, but you need sex. But not because you need sex, because you need another person to love you that way. But marriage can't fully do it. But marriage helps. It says in the Bible that if you are burning with sexual passion or like you have loneliness, God gave us an answer for that. That's marriage. But if your marriage, even in a really good marriage, now if you're in a bad marriage, you'll feel even more lonely than if you, so don't get into a bad marriage. So, you know, single people, don't jump into marriage tomorrow, please, all right? You want to get into a good marriage. And it's not easy to get a good marriage. Because in a bad marriage, you, you, you could feel more lonely than ever. Because you're with the person who's supposed to love you, but they don't. 
and that's horrible. But if you get into, even if you're in a good marriage, and I think I can say I, I have a good marriage. My marriage wasn't always very good, right? And so my wife and I, we went through a period of marital counseling. And if your marriage is not good, I want to say this to you, you should get marital counseling. And you shouldn't get marital counseling if you think you're just desperate. If you just think your marriage just has some, like, eh, it's like it kind of grinds and it consistently grinds, go to marriage counseling. I'm not kidding. Best $150 an hour you will spend. You need to do it. And so, but even if you're in a good marriage, you know what you're going to find? And I'm in a good marriage. You know what you'll find? That the marriage can't make you complete and whole. That's what you're going to find. My wife is an awesome A-plus wife, <laughs> and she can't do this for me. Because you know why? Because even before God made us sexual beings, that sexual, sexual whole, whole, you know, if the sexual whole, you know what that sexual whole is actually intended to point toward? A point toward the need for him. The need for him. So let me close the message this way. God knows that we all, he made us for himself. He made us to be united to him. And our personhood is supposed to find its complete wholeness in something like the Holy Trinity. That's what he made us for. And then, let me give you the gospel this way. So Jesus came into the world to become a great husband for a very, very needy, needy girlfriend <laughs> who was longing for the greatest husband that could possibly be. And you know that is? That's us. Every human being, we have a big gaping hole that can only be filled by one who would love us, who is similar to us, but mysteriously different than us. And yet, so... The Son of God became human so that he could be the God who is the bridegroom, who, who is the same as us. That's why I say he's human, the same as us, and yet mysteriously, gloriously different than us. That's what we're all looking. You know, you meet that girl, you're like, you know, you're, you're like 12 years old, and you meet her, and you're like, ooh, <laughs> she's not like any other girl I've ever seen before. And she's like you, but she's so mysteriously wonderful and beautiful, and you long for that beauty to embrace you. You know what that's happening when, you're that, when you got that crush on that girl when you're 12 years old? Or when you got that crush on your boy when you're, well, 10 years old, because it happens a little earlier for girls? You know what's happening there? You're being human. We're looking for someone similar to us who's so glorious, who's so handsome, <laughs> who's so beautiful, but who's infinitely so, who will see us down to our very, very core, will embrace us. And everything that is horrible and terrible about us, he will say, I will take that on me. I will wash it, forgive it, present you, to myself, and I will unite you to me. And all manhood, all womanhood, all personhood finally is made complete in the redemptive love and embrace of the God-man Jesus.
And so I want to close this way. You want to become a whole person? Well, there's practical everyday steps, maybe steps toward marriage, and then learning how to really be a whole person in marriage. But you can't ever really be fully complete until you meet the other person who truly completes you, and that is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, it's a big message, a lot of hard conceptual things going on. And Lord, you know I can ramble on, but I pray that to everyone who heard this message, they remember all the parts that really, really matter to them, that they need, the confusions that they need, maybe the repentance that they need, the conviction that they need. I pray that you would give our people, your people, Father God, your sons and daughters, would you give us whole selves? Would you heal our sexuality? Would you heal our manhood and womanhood? Would you give us really good marriages? Would we shine in our very broken and crooked and wicked age, very lost, cursed age? Help us to have servanthood and mercy and love toward all our neighbors, heterosexual, homosexual, people in the closet, people out of the closet, people who are heterosexual and yet also have embraced the much more wicked sin of saying, we don't need God, we can call it the way we want it, apart from God, which is a much worse sin. Help us to repent of the sins, of all our sins, including the sins underneath the sin. Would you give us purity of heart and body and beauty of love and deep relationships? so that we can taste, a foretaste, a little bit of the taste of the beauty and glory of Genesis 2.25, that we can truly learn to be naked in front of each other, not physically naked, (laughs) but whole as people, and bless each other and not curse each other. The real love, as you want us to do, in Jesus' name, amen.